to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Hey, Jeremy, how you doing this week? Good, man. We are very close to build now. So uh, things are heating up pretty I cannot well. even imagine how crazy it must get, but it's exciting to see that uh, Graph has at least has a role to play uh, somewhat prominently at the conference. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out. Yeah, pro tip, don't play any drinking games where the graph is mentioned because you will be drunk quick. Um, well, I guess yeah, in certain parts of the I'll world, say. the live stream is after five o'clock, right? So why not? Exactly, yeah. right. I mean, in Spain, they were drinking nine in the morning anyway. It's just part of their culture. Well, it's always five o'clock in Margaritaville, as they say. So huh? I'm ready to roll. <laughs> yeah, so this week, uh, some news has built up. So I thought maybe we could just uh, go through this list and uh, get some thoughts out about how things are shaping up. And I, I obviously, be lots of news that we expect out of Build, but at least to move along. Does that sound like a good idea? Yeah, let's rock it. All right. So uh, since I found the news, the first one's going to be something I love, which is OAuth. And there's a blog post on the Microsoft uh, Identity Azure AD blog. I'm sorry, it's actually on the Graph blog uh, that uh, there's some behavior changing if you're doing native applications, which means iOS or Android or UWP, in that there is going to be uh, the the confirmation dialog is going to be set up invoked in a different manner. You have you have if you use the built-in URN uh, for the redirect scheme, it's going to look differently than what you had seen in the past. And so this is really just a heads up to say, hey, if you're doing this, you're going to want at least to prepare your users or you can do this workaround that they talk about to, to make sure it works. So this is a call to action everyone out there and make sure you you update everything. And, and of course, in your app registration, you want to make sure you have your application name set up and your company name and any links to terms and conditions and so on. Because because folks may be seeing the the consent dialogue or the the prompt dialogue one more time. So it's a heads up if you're using OAuth native apps on the Windows platform. You lost me authentication. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, uh, the next one I found is a, Alex Terentiev, right? So it was a, a post and you had a comment on that. So you want to give us some thoughts? Yeah, about it was interesting because he'd been pinging me on Twitter for a while on this. And it, unfortunately, well, fortunately, there's a lot of people working on Graph. Unfortunately, sometimes getting a straight answer from someone or, or finding the person that actually owns this kind of concern is actually quite challenging. And I mean, I've nearly been back now for a year and I have a, a Rolodex of people that I, you know, I actually share the Rolodex internally. I use a SharePoint list. It was funny. Someone was asking me what a Rolodex was. I'm pretty sure it was one of our new interns and I had to get them to Google what a Rolodex was. And they're like, oh, it's, that's, why do they call it? It doesn't matter. I'll call it a contact list from now on. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of have this like list of people I know for different parts of the API and different features and capabilities in the API. But this one was interesting. Um, Alex was trying to build an SPFX solution um, within a, like an, a calendar integration, which, you know, is super easy. We have the graph client inside of SPFX and you can call the calendar APIs. But he was wanting to have drop downs to pick time, a uh, time zone. 
And there's actually quite a few complicated things in this, in the fact that the way that the graph supports time zones is a different standard to what windows and browsers use. There's different um, like naming standards. Some of just say things like Pacific standard time and others will actually have like UTC minus eight Pacific, Pacific time in brackets, us and Canada um, and, and different things like that. And, What's interesting is there's no real service anywhere that allows you to translate between the different time zone codes and aliases and display names. And so um, Alex has actually kind of blogged the solution he's come about to it, which unfortunately isn't great with IE because IE doesn't show current time zone info. Um, But he's raised a user voice on our new shiny Microsoft Graph user voice that we launched um, to try and get people to vote this up so that we get the calendaring team within the graph to take this on as a challenge. Um, so right now he's like maintaining his own mapping file, um, which is hosted by unicode.org, but he's forked it because it's not updated regularly, um, which obviously is a problem um, because time zones do change apparently. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> and so it was just an interesting blog post, you know, that really kind of documented the challenges he had and how he got there. So it was Alex uh, Terentiev, and I, I actually, I'm not sure whereabouts in the world he is. Um, it says LA in California. There you go in his blogger profile. So, um, yeah, so that's super useful. So if you're doing anything with time zones, um, please go check Microsoft Uservoice.com and there, um, Alex has created one there that you can go vote up. And if you're not doing the time zones, you should get started because the the these days with worldwide commerce and consultants all over the world, you're going to run into it. It certainly has been a long-standing problem. And when I first saw this blog, it reminded me, you know, SharePoint took care of all, back in the day, right? We just did our SharePoint sites and the server took care right. of all that stuff for us. We didn't have to worry about it. It just worked automatically. So yeah. uh, certainly is a stumbling block. So yeah, that was a great, great job by Alex. Next, I want to talk about uh, a little SharePointy stuff, right? So the SharePoint framework team released an update, the uh, 1.8.1, and um, uh, Vesa Evenin has been very outspoken about how they had some bugs in the 1.8 release, and they real quick wanted to scramble to fix those. So it's really just a minor bump that fixes some human generator issues that they did, primarily around SP 2019 on-prem. And so uh, that's uh, you can update your generator to get the latest on that. And then I uh, also would like to say that the the Visual Studio extension for SharePoint Framework that Eric Shups and I worked on has been revved as well to 1.8. It does support 1.8.1. The command line hadn't changed there. So both of those links will be in the show notes. And it's uh, nice to see that um, uh, they're they're moving along, resolving these issues that came up real quick. And and there's actually a a hint in the the release notes about 1.8.2 is planned to help work on some memory issues that they're running into. So the team is certainly uh, on top of it and and moving forward. So that's all great to see. And then the the um, 
don't know if I mentioned this before, but when uh, at the MVP Summit, Eric pulled up the Visual Studio Gallery for the Visual Studio extension for SPFX and we're up to 11,000 yeah. downloads. So I was like, hey, that's pretty wow. great. So, yeah, so part of what I did last weekend was... There's 11,000 uh, downloads of your bad and code, or Eric and yours bad code. Um, hey, it works just fine. It works just fine. <laughs> you can learn all about it at the SharePoint conference. Use the code SHAFINE for a discount. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I joke. Yeah. yeah, so, but, um, you know, and actually, um, uh, I actually... I have to reach out to John White because I actually pulled some data out of uh, out of the the, the generator and, and created a chart in Power BI all by myself. How about that? Wow! <laughs> yeah. Look at you. I know. I know. It's the first time I think I've done it without calling John. So it was good you, stuff. You can go add um, data analyst on your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Well, data manipulator, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. So oh, good stuff it's there. It's great when it works, but then when you can draw something on a whiteboard in two seconds and it takes you eight hours in Power BI because you just don't know what you're doing. It gets yeah, very frustrating and, and, you know, quickly. And I, and I got a blog post in progress on it because you know what? It told, once I went into the advanced window and started looking at the actual query code, it's like, oh, that makes a lot more sense than the UI does. So <laughs> yeah, that was me just struggling with the buttons on the ribbon and not knowing what, the, what those words meant. But then once seen because behind the scenes they call a function and oh well, the function is called parse json well that makes sense to me and there's intellisense when you start typing it well, well that's good enough for me so yeah, yeah. yeah we have whole teams here that just do that so uh, it's clearly a problem out there as much as yeah. they'd like to say that those tools will allow anyone to be a data analyst yeah. The, um, the other one I found uh, this week which you'd pointed to me uh, a few weeks ago now is um, Bob German who's uh, works at Microsoft in a, ooh, I'm going to get that wrong. Cause I think he's changed recently. Is he a PFE? I can't remember. Now. He's not a PFE, but he's working with partner ISVs on, on graph related yeah, like stuff. So enabling them on graph. He mentions it um, in an episode. We can post a link to the episode a couple, maybe a month or so ago. I talked to him down in Branson. So, um, we can yeah, follow up on it. He said he done, but, um, he's done a, a series of posts on a particular like solution proof of concept. Um, and it covers how to do provisioning with Flow, Microsoft Flow, and using the Microsoft Graph specifically around uh, provisioning teams. So there's a bunch of work our team directly has done with this, and um, Jason Johnson on our team built a sample for me that I presented at Ignite, which we're actually going to be presenting again at Build in a new rev. Um, the way that it's interesting, the way that he's done this is uh, now it's been moved over into the PNP world, which I did notice that Vesa managed to actually get github.com slash PNP for the PNP stuff. It's not office dev and anything anymore. So that was kind of interesting that he's kind of completely taken over the PNP brand. Um, it's the first I'd noticed that. Um, <clears throat> but he's got a whole bunch of things here around um, using Azure to pick like drop things on a queue and pick things on a queue um, to go run an Azure function to then call the graph and do uh, the provisioning and then to drop it, drop it onto a completion queue that flow then works out and does a whole heap of things there on, um, on kind of the SharePointy side of the, the space. But it's interesting because uh, he highlights some of the security kind of challenges, I guess, I would call it a brick wall, which is a fairly big challenge of needing group read, write all and uh, user read all to do a bunch of things around provisioning teams. Uh, you know, there isn't just a, a permission that says 
give me the ability to create a team and then give me read, write access to that team. Like I have to have access to all teams in my tenant. So there is work we're doing internally to remove that kind of brick wall, because obviously you go into a customer and you ask for that permission. Understandably, customers are going to be a a little bit concerned about the level of that permission that you need to ask for. Um, So that's certainly something that Bob's called out, which is right to call out and just to be aware of. And, you know, I think it comes back to devs, when they're doing things, they just tick all the buttons, um, you know, for permissions. And then when it gets to, okay, we're going to deploy it to the pre-production environment. Then they realize, oh, wait, this thing needs this level of permissions. And then um, it becomes a problem with the customer. So I guess the learning is, is that, you know, as you do things on the graph, don't just check all the buttons for all the permissions. Just make sure you're aware what the least amount of permissions are so that you can kind of make sure your customer's happy with that before you wait to pre-prod to tell them that is kind of a learning that, um, I've had with a bunch of partners that are kind of in this space and working on these things, especially around teams. And that applies for planner and groups as well. So just be aware of those things. And so if you're doing anything with provisioning, um, please check this out. Please also check out our one as well, the Contoso Airlines repo inside of the Microsoft Graph Org too. Um, I should probably go have a word with Bob and see whether we can join forces rather than ship similar things in different places. Yeah, and that and that's the uh, part of the gist of what Bob's latest uh, uh, blog post that we'll link to talks about how is that uh, he's had some of the community members reach out as well. And so they're giving it a home that's other than the Bob German repository. So that's that's good. Yeah. Right. And and this is still more of a uh, pieces to build a solution as opposed to a canned solution. So while I agree with all your security comments, this this solution that Bob has laid out would probably be a developer deploying something either in-house or in conjunction with the IT department. So there would be some understanding. And I do like his approach of using an Azure functions and using um, uh, the, the managed service identity as well to get some stuff going on there because that kind of that's more secure, right? Who's got an Azure subscription and who's allowed to to consent stuff. So in, in this solution, I don't, I, while these are security issues, I don't want to just scare away from folks who want to try to kick the tires if oh, you're yeah, a developer, absolutely. right? Yeah. So but, it's really, especially as stuff. we are working in things around that space as well. Yeah, so that, yeah. that kind of brick wall will go away as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's nice to see uh, when Bob was on the show, he had hoped that we could get some, some momentum and it looks like that's, that's happening. So good for, and, and for a lot of enterprise devs that are in house, like it's easier for them to have them vet the, like the IT team vet the code and vet what the solution is doing and entrust that. I think it's more of a challenge for an ISV that's has to go convince a customer to turn that on. And obviously they're not going to share their entire code base in most yeah, cases. So exactly. That's where yes. it becomes more of a brick wall. Is, yeah. Fair point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so um, the, the next item I found is right. So we chatted uh, on our last episode about the Microsoft edge based on Chrome. And I've, I've, Dived in with both feet, uh, Canary running, and I found this article, which is actually on the the, the Telerik, I think it's Telerik or Telerik blog, uh, that obviously there are vendors who does a lot of work uh, on controls, but they have this capability where rather than just doing console.log in your JavaScript code, you can, using the developer tools, when you right click on a, on a line, instead of setting a breakpoint, you can set what they call a log point, and then in this, so it's basically you put the console.log message in the breakpoint definition, if you will. And so then at at runtime, it'll write the value you want to the console, but it doesn't clutter your your source code with all kinds of log entries. So it's really pretty slick trick that I've already started going through. Um, primarily because if I want to see something like, oh, I don't need to stop 
my solution, change it, rebuild, right? So gulp space serve still takes, you know, 10 seconds or so. It's nice to just right click and say, hey, show me what's going on here without setting a breakpoint so the code runs. So it's a really nice trick. I like it. Uh, smart. Yeah. And in the title, it says Chrome DevTools, but I have not tried it in Chrome. I've only used it in the Edge uh, Canary and it works just fine. So as you'd the, expect, the so. new Edge, as I was the, informed the yesterday. New edge. Well, I, can we just say that the old edge is gone and it's edge is edge, but I guess not. Right. But yeah, not, so not, not yet, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I suppose. So yeah, but, um, the, uh, I, I like, I like edge primarily because before I had different profiles, right? So we do online stuff and you have profiles so that you get different cookies for login, right? And my dev test prod environments and so on. And it's nice now, instead of having an orange icon and a green icon, and a yellow icon, I can actually have, you know, my Azure active directory account, profile picture in there, which granted is not as attractive as others, but it, it's nice to be able to log in with my corporate credentials and, and the different profiles. And, and it, 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 it's really slick. I'm really, I'm really digging edge, new edge as they say. So edge, edge. Yeah. I, um, when I forget who said, Oh, it was Joe Belfury had actually sent an email around with it and we were able to use internal bills a while ago. And, uh, I'd already kind of was a bit concerned about Google and the fact that when I was an Android heavy user, as well as using Google for a browser, I noticed my ads were getting a little bit scary in terms of discussions I was having or conversations I'm having or sites I'm using that they were just too accurate. And so I wanted to kind of not empower everyone to have everything like that. And so going to edge, um, the Chromium aspects of the new edge, uh, they have taken out a significant amount of features, including a lot of that stuff that Google was using to kind of have insights on ads and so forth. So, um, it, I trust Microsoft more than I trust Google, I mean, I work <laughs> at Microsoft. but just in general with some of the experience I've had internally and how Microsoft talks about privacy and trust, I just feel like my, I, I feel like there's less stalking going on um, using Edge Chromium, new Edge, than there definitely was uh, when I was using Chrome for sure. Yeah. And, and the other thing I noticed is, right, so if, if you're on Windows 10 and you're trying to log into some Azure Active Directory secured resource, yes. the, the yep. login experience is different, right? It, it has accounts native to the OS that you've logged in with and Chrome can't find those, but new edge does. So that, that logging yeah, in different the, environments. There's some is really nice bits there around the profiles. So I've got, if I mine up there right now, I have two demo users from my demo tenant as a profile each and my outlook.com personal account, as well as my work account as well. And just switching between those is super easy. Um, so I can keep those worlds separated and not have to log in and log out just from one browser, yeah, browser session. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I did notice um, that in our internal build, by default, we support signing in with org account as a profile, um, whereas on the public one I have on my home machine, it didn't. But there is a flag you can check that turns it on, and there's a bunch of people talking about that. Yeah, um, yeah. If you'd like to get that supported. Uh, and and sync's not working yet, but it's sync. still... Yeah, yeah, the sync, yeah, yeah, the sync doesn't work for org accounts signed in profiles, but it does for consumer accounts. Yeah, but in my experience, that's not so bad, right? Because like, I if I run Edge on my Android, 
I don't want all my work links synced there. I, I'm kind of okay with that, right? So my mm-hmm. MSA account syncs to my phone, but my, all my org accounts are just on my computer, right? So, and if I need to launch a VM or something, I can, there's not a lot of things in that to sync there. So I don't think that's much of an issue, at least for me. And I would imagine for most devs, it's not so bad, such a bad thing, but yeah, it's really pretty slick. I'm liking it a lot. But, um, so. Yeah, I'm loving it. It's great. Um, and then another kind of area, which is, it's intriguing to me how much this has grown in the power platform, which is Microsoft Flow. Um, and Stefan Siciliano, who, um, he's a principal group PM manager. So he, he's very senior in, in that space, has been blogging about um, the new announcements in April for Flow. And I think the biggest call out for me out of all of this from conversations I had with customers around Flow because uh, we did demo it quite heavily in Ignite uh, timeframes with graph integration, was this notion of um, the fact that they now support Microsoft Flow in the US government tenants um, and the GCC high is coming soon. And so there's a ton of work they're doing realizing that, you know, there's from a workflow management perspective, this is, you know, super important. But they're driving harder and harder on their common data service uh, and kind of integration with Dynamics 365 because they live in the same world to same morgues under James Phillips. And so, you know, if you haven't checked out the flow stuff, I'd highly encourage you to take a look. Um, the We're seeing more and more people use it, calling the graph APIs as hooks to do things. Obviously, you know, in the case of what Bob German's doing where he's in that sample app, he's triggering a flow in SharePoint because it's native to trigger them. Um, and then he's dropping stuff into queues that then Azure Function picks up to do a bit more complicated code. And so it's interesting how people are balancing between dragging and dropping building workflow processes in Microsoft Flow to, okay, now we need to do more complicated code flows and we'll, so we use Azure Functions for it. And, um, you know, we're seeing that more and more when we speak to ISVs and customers that that's how they're deploying their solutions. So um, keep an eye on Flow. Um, it, it seems to be getting a lot of focus as a kind of a glue between a lot of these products. And this latest blog post kind of indicates even further the commitment they have to it. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think it's now uh, three or four times now there's been a semi-annual big dump of features, right? So they've certainly got on that semi-annual release cadence as well, which is nice to see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I remember the, the readme or whatever the, the, the announcement in October was massive, almost a hundred pages of features that they deployed. So it's all great to see. And I, and you know, the hardcore devs or backend devs, we always had this issue of how do we interact with our end users. And this is still a great option if you have a SharePoint list, which can trigger a flow, which can call your code, right? So there's certainly a place to help to get it and tell your end users, well, just create a list and create a flow and call this function and I'll do the heavy lifting for you. It's a great, great way to deliver solutions quickly to your to your users. So great stuff. <laughs> So that's a nice little news catch up for us. Uh, obviously, with Build coming up, it's a little crazy there at Microsoft land. So we'll work on getting some some more experts to talk about topics to folks. If anyone has ideas of what you'd want to hear, I always love to hear that on the Twitter or uh, reach out to us directly. You got anything else you want to add for this week? No, I, it's on me a little bit. I appreciate you going and finding interviews externally and I've been really crap at finding people internally, but it's just got progressively harder <laughs> um, coming up to build to get anyone to commit to even talk to me, let alone commit to recording a show. So post build, my microphone will be in a lot of people's faces 
um, talking about all the announcements. But um, yeah, it's been slow, so I'll put my head up and acknowledge that. Yeah, well, thank you, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting next time. Yeah, cheers, buddy. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 